Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Very interesting program. I think you're going to enjoy it. And uh, I know I am because I'm going to learn an awful lot here. I've, I've done some study in this particular area, but not nearly as much as our very special guest. Her name is Joanna Kuyawa. And uh, you're, coming, you're coming to us all the way from, am I correct, Australia? Yes, Australia. I'm in Brisbane, in Australia. And you have, uh, you're actually a doctor. We'll find out just what kind of a doctor it is. But <laughs> you've written a book entitled The Other Goddess, Mary Magdalene and the Goddesses of Eros and Secret Knowledge. Uh, this is something that uh, I find fascinating because what I have, what I have sort of felt and um, uh, sort of intuited is that uh, women have, have not been given the credit, if you will, uh, the, oh, I want to say the honor or uh, the distinction that they so richly deserve for what they have done down through history to keep civilization alive. And I don't mean by giving birth to every human being on the planet. I mean, in terms of this, this aspect of secret knowledge, <clears throat> for example, um, Mary Magdalene, in my estimation, should have been the first pope, simply because, uh, if you want to look at it from that standpoint, simply because she was the first, not only human being, but she was the one who recognized who Jesus the Christ was when he came out of the tomb. There was no question in her mind. I mean, she even wanted to touch the hem of his garment, which he said, and, and he said, no, no, not yet, not yet. And mm. when the guys came along, it was like they were in a a, a, a daze and said, hey, have you seen our friend? Uh, you know, we're looking for him. We're mm. going to go to the pub and have a few drinks to drown our sorrows. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I just, you know, and I realize I'm try not trying to be, you know, flippant or anything, but I just feel as though... She in particular uh, has been, I think, um, uh, uh, what the better word I can think of, denigrated over mm. the centuries. And women, and, and what I find and I love so wonderfully is the fact that in many instances in our media, women today in the 21st century are finally getting their due. And uh, so I think your book is, is coming along at, a, at just the right, right time. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate your introduction because these are my thoughts exactly. So if you don't mind, I would like to elaborate it a little bit on this because when you speak about Mary Magdalene, my feelings exactly. So uh, when I was a little girl, maybe I would just start, I was actually born in communist Poland. So the communist Poland was also a very Catholic place. So I was going regularly to church and I saw these beautiful image, images of the divine feminine. One was the Virgin Mary. And, but I noticed that at the corner of each church, there was this painting of another divine feminine, Mary Magdalene, but she was somehow, I had a feeling vilified and there was something ugly in a, in a kind of sexual way about it, you know, because I, I didn't understand as a little girl. And only many years ago, when I was already in Australia, uh, I, uh, I, I went with uh, two archaeologists to Jerusalem and they took me for, I don't even remember why, to the church of Mary Magdalene. It was a 
Eastern Orthodox Church of Mary Magdalene on the Mount of Olives. And there I saw this a completely different portrayal of Mary Magdalene. She stands, you know, very dignified with her hand extended uh, and she has this something in her head, hand. Some people believe it's an egg because there is a legend associated with it, but I am not so sure about this legend. I think it's a little bit simplified. And I thought, what a wonderful portrayal of this woman, Mary Magdalene. For me, she looked like she was extending something to humanity, some secret knowledge, some message. And I started my research. And, you know, <laughs> soon I discovered that uh, the Gnostic Gospels, so uh, Gnostic Gospels, if you don't mind me to talk about them, mm -hmm. uh, it, they have a fantastic story and I have an adventure within me. That's why I call myself also a spiritual detective, not only a scholar. So uh, they were discovered in 1945 in Egypt, but they're much older than this. You know, some of them were written in the first, second century, like the biblical gospels. But in 325, in the Council of Nicaea, only some gospels were chosen as the politically correct, let's put it this way, because it was the Roman Empire uh, emperor who wanted, you know, some inoffensive gospels, you know, very similar to other beliefs in, in the Roman Empire. And the other Gospels, including the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, including, you know, uh, the Gospel of Philip, including the Gospel of Thomas, which may be the oldest of all Gospels, mm -hmm. you know, uh, were rejected. And uh, I started to read especially the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and the Gospel of Philip. And in both Gospels and also another Gnostic work, which is basically from Gnostic documents, uh, another Gnostic work, which is called Pistis Sophia, where Mary Magdalene is actually portrayed as the favorite disciple by Jesus Christ. Because, uh, you know, Gnostics claimed that Jesus gave three levels of teachings. One level of teaching is the one that we know very often from uh, Bible, you know, like fishermen around the Lake of Galilee and so on, simple mm -hmm. people. So he was telling them stories so they would understand. Then the second uh, level of teaching uh, to teachings to his disciples and the highest level, the esoteric level of teachings to his uh, most advanced disciples. And apparently Mary Magdalene was one of them. And there are some claims also that John was the other one. Mm. So uh, she was his favorite disciple and or one of them. And in, in this work, for example, Pistis Sophia, uh, uh, disciples ask 42 questions to Jesus and he answers them, uh, questions, you know, related to the matters of the soul and spirit and so on. And 39 of these questions are asked by Mary Magdalene. And, and some of the disciples, especially Peter, gets really upset and he says, you know, why this woman is even allowed, you know, here, yeah. <laughs> never mind asking questions. And Jesus says, leave her alone because she's filled with the spirit. Right. Let her talk mm -hmm. because she's filled with the spirit and the same in the gospel of Mary Magdalene after, you know, the, the disciples after the crucifixion, the disciples come to her and say, you know, please tell us what the teacher told you, you know, that he didn't tell us. And she starts teaching. And again, some disciples get really upset that they were not giving the teachings or they didn't understand some parts of the teachings. Yeah. So you are very right. I think that she was really vilified. And, you know, as a scholar, I check it. And, you know, historically, she was not being portrayed as a prostitute at all until the sixth century. 
And in the sixth century, one pope uh, made a scriptural mistake, basically. And, and he confused her with a woman sinner from the Bible and uh, who was actually not a prostitute either, because, you know, when we study the vocabulary, uh, she was just called a sinner, which usually means someone who didn't pay the taxes or broke Jewish law, but mm -hmm. not necessarily, you know, adulteress or prostitute, definitely not, because it would, a different word would describe her. And, and then since then, this, and as you know, in the Catholic Church, once the Pope says something, <laughs> you know, it has to be true. So this mistake was perpetuated until 1969, I believe, when the, the, uh, the Vatican actually admitted that it was a scriptural mistake, but only scholars know it, you know, general public just kind of recently started to learn that, you know, there's something fishy about this prostitute business, right? Yeah. Mm. I'm still I'm still perplexed myself. <clears throat> she uh, again, this is the the myth here uh, mm -hmm. that she was a prostitute and that she had had sex with a whole bunch of men, mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, of course, uh, is a violation, obviously, of one of the commandments. Mm -hmm. And yet the men were never brought to task, although mm -hmm. they were embarrassed by the fact that Jesus said, well, let uh, let he who is without uh, sin cast mm. the first stone. And as uh, as I heard one one individual in modern times say, and the men, they uh, dropped their rocks and split. That's right. You yeah. know, so I find that I find that very interesting, uh, uh, that story. Now, I uh, you may remember back in. Oh, my goodness. I'm trying to remember what year it was now uh, in the late 80s or early 90s. When the movie The Last Temptation of Christ came out by mm -hmm. uh, the author Kazantzakis, who had written the book. Yes. Now, I don't know how many people who were opposed to the movie ever bothered to read the book. I did. Mm -hmm. And what struck me more than anything else was the preface. And I can sum the preface up quite simply by saying that uh, Kazantzakis, and I paraphrase, basically it was saying these are just my musics. I'm just saying, what if I'm not saying this is true. Yeah. And I saw the movie. It wasn't a great movie, but it raised some very interesting questions uh, yeah. that, that people obviously have been grappling with for years. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, to me, it's just, it's, it's fascinating the conversations that we can have, but let's get back to the issue of the other goddesses. As we continue talking here, on uh, Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, we're talking today about the other goddess, and we're talking with uh, someone who has uh, a lot of knowledge in this area. Her name is Dr. Johanna Kuyawa, and she has this uh, wonderful book. It's entitled The Other Goddesses, or actually The Other Goddess, and uh, it's Mary Magdalene and The Other Goddesses of Eros and Secret Knowledge. One of the aspects, uh, I know that love, it's a tough one to define for a lot of people. Now, yes, in the uh, New Testament, there's a, a whole list of uh, love is this, love is that, love is the other thing. And I think about the, the aspect of unconditional love mm. that parents have, especially for their children, at least they do initially, mm. <laughs> uh, that the creator all right. And if we if we wish to 
um, uh, speak from the standpoint of uh, the Christian philosophy that uh, the father loves all of his children. Now, and what's interesting, I find this interesting, and maybe we can dive into this from the goddess perspective as well. John 3.16, for example, for God so loved the world, which means that even though every single human being who has ever been born came into this world with a death sentence because we had original sin. And so we deserved to die even as infants. Okay. Uh, you know, oh no, you can't. It's an infant. They didn't do anything wrong. They were born. You brought this child into this world and that's the death sentence right there until of course uh, they're baptized or or whatever the the process is and i just find that interesting that nobody seems to focus uh, at all on the fact that the creator loved us even even before we made any decisions to do anything to accept this belief or that belief or the other belief uh and it's one of the the, the things that i think about when i think about my my value as a human being on this earth that i had value even before i i believed anything and then once i accept whatever the belief is oh now i'm i'm really priceless and it's like well, how can you be more than priceless you know mm -hmm. but it's just a really interesting paradox but women women now i, I should give you a little uh, uh background on myself i grew up in a family of eight four sisters and one brother and, and a mother and a father. So I grew up in what you might consider a matriarchal uh, uh, construct, even though there, it wasn't lorded over my brother and my father and I by any means. Um, but we had that influence in our lives. And maybe that's the reason why I have such a strong affinity towards this subject matter as you bring it forth in uh, The Other Goddess. Mm. When, what, what was it that opened your eyes, uh, your mind, your heart, your soul, if you will, to this subject? And, and it has become um, a life's work, if you will, obviously through this particular book, uh, The Other Goddess. Mm. So, um, so would you like me to talk about love then or just the part of a goddess? Because, you know, uh, I think that that's a very actually profound question on, on, on many levels. But for some reason, uh, your, intuitions are, your intuitions are very right. But for some reason, women were somehow sidetracked from this love. We we're kind of loved conditionally, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and demean, especially women who actually uh you know contributed somehow to human knowledge or spirituality very often they mean like mary magdalene and i think the reason why why mary magdalene is resurfacing so much because i think something in our consciousness wants to correct previous mistakes and i'm not here to blame you know anybody because you know societies were the way they were you know at certain stage were matriarchal then they were patriarchal you know and women had no rights you know so it was it is not the problem of the message 
of the divine, right? It's not a problem of the message of God. It is the problem how so people in previous societies process it. It's like a, mm -hmm. you tune to the radio, but you have a very bad connection. And you say, even Jesus, you know, he was considered revolutionary in many ways, you know, because mm -hmm. he was hanging out with people that were normally not, not considered, you know, respectful right because mm -hmm. people in that society didn't know about universal love and i believe that he came to teach universal love and in gnostic gospels i love when he says you know my peace i give you and by that he means you know like i want you to have a sense of peace and unity that i have you know i came to teach you the tools to to feel this and and uh, but people thought oh no he couldn't say that you know, because they couldn't yeah. grasp the message because it was not valued in that society. The same way, like, how could we hang out with this woman, whoever she was, right? Because there are so many theories about Mary Magdalene, and I discuss them in the other goddess, you know, because different scholars, different people say different things. But even in the worst case scenario, that this is, you know, the, how the Pope misinterpreted it, he still chose, you know, to give her his teachings out of this universal love. Right. Mm -hmm. But people just could not process it. So I think that sometimes people and I hope I'm not judgmental, it's just my own, you know, interpretation again, you know, like when you're talking about uh, the other author uh, from Greece, mm -hmm. who, you know, I I'm saying that I think that the message of universal love was always present there. But people, you know, we are evolving spiritually. And in the past, people were just just you know, uh, interpreting it in a very limiting way because uh, they couldn't understand how come you could love anyone, right? Like, yeah. obviously, they're more worthy and less worthy. Of course, you know, men are important and women are less important. But here, at the same time, I want to say that I don't want to go against men at all. You know, I think this message is universal for everyone. And I just want everybody to understand, including women, that we have to you know, we have to love and respect each other. And there's nothing more uh, required for a society and for a spiritual evolution nowadays, I believe that we bring these two uh, energies, let's put it this way, masculine and feminine to work together, right? Without mm -hmm. being angry at each other, without, you know, blaming each other, without oppressing each other, but just work together. And I think it is very, we live in very interesting times. And I believe that we chose to live in these times, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in this case, you know, we just have to uh, learn to, you know, forgive each other and move on together. It, these are the times of, of the unity, you know, between the masculine and the feminine, you know, for, for lack of better metaphor, so to speak. Right. I know that that's uh, uh, something that's been brought to our attention throughout interviews on this subject and related subjects. And that is that we're not looking to go from a patriarchal to a matriarchal society. We're not looking for women to get one up on men. We're looking mm. to combine in a balanced way the masculine and feminine energies to work together in collaboration, in cooperation, uh, to move ourselves as a, a civilization, as a society forward, because it just doesn't seem like there are times when it just doesn't seem like we're, we're making any headway. And hmm. I still, it still perplexes me to this day. I've never understood how it ever started other than just the mentality of the patriarchal aspects in business and other areas mm -hmm. where uh, two human beings and one happens to be male, one female are doing exactly the same job. And yet the woman is paid less. 
And, and it's mm. like, that makes no sense. It's one of the reasons why I'm a firm believer, uh, whether when you're especially, for example, when you're applying for a job, your name shouldn't be on your resume, for example, or application, a number. OK, we don't know what your gender is. We're going to base our decisions solely on mm. your qualifications and nothing else. Uh, and uh, and then and then go from there. But that's a pipe dream. It's idealistic. It's naive by some people's standards. So be it. Fascinating. I want to talk more, if you will, about uh, other civilizations that have existed down through history who have actually shown more of a reverence, if you will, um, a Oh, unconditional love, so to speak, um, in terms of their society towards both men and women, as we continue talking here mm -hmm. on Tell Me Your Story. Mm -hmm. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with Joanna Kuyowa, um, and uh, we're talking about the other goddess. Uh, your website is, of course, your name. And as you said, you are originally, uh, you said from Poland, is that correct? Yes, yes. And originally from Poland. I beg your pardon? Yes, originally from Poland, now in Australia, but in many places in between. <laughs> <laughs> Johanna Kujawa is a Kujawa is our guest, and the website is her name, J-O-A-N-N-A-K-U-J-A-W-A.com, and we will be linked to that uh, to that website so people can uh, find out more about the work that you are doing. Tell us a little bit about uh, other civilizations down through history. There have been some matriarchal, but also more balanced societies. And I'll tell you, the first one that came to my mind that was maybe a little bit more balanced was the Egyptian society of old with the pyramids and, and all of that, that, that that comes along. You had both I think male and female gods uh, and, and so right. forth. That's right. But if I can, Richard, there are also civilizations be before Egypt. So, for example, ancient Sumer, which is basically now Iraq, Iran, you know, vaguely, right? Because the borders have changed. Right. They had this an ancient goddess called Ninma, who is actually, and this is what triggered this book, who is portrayed in the same way as Mary Magdalene, uh, later on she she sits there with her hand extended and she extends the fruit of life and knowledge to humanity and it's quite interesting you know because she's extending this hand with this knowledge of tree of uh, tree of life and um, i'm sorry with uh, uh, with secret knowledge to humanity and she is sitting by the, the tree of life so it's quite interesting because later i saw other goddesses who, uh, such as Inanna, which is an Assyrian goddess, who is also portrayed in a similar way. And all of his goddesses, including uh, Egyptian goddess Isis, for example, and, and Mary Magdalene are portrayed with symbols of giving secret knowledge to humanity, but also portals between death and life. So Mary Magdalene comes from a, this long lineage of 
female deities, let's put it this way, or energies, you know, however we want to perceive them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that that uh, not only have some uh, other form of consciousness, perhaps, uh, let's put it this way, other form of knowledge for us, maybe more uh, holistic, and I can elaborate about it a little bit later, but also they are somehow connected with the portal between life and death just like Mary Magdalene. So for example, Inanna, she has to go to the underworld and she manages through uh, some magic to resurrect herself and come back. In Isis, Isis resurrects her husband temporarily. You know, so it's a similar story. So she can conceive a child with him. She's a very powerful goddess, which was later accepted by the Roman empire uh, because she was so powerful that the Romans couldn't get rid of her, right? Because everybody started to worship her. And she's connected with life and death, you know, the passage between life and death, which with the story of Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene became the story of resurrection. And if I can just come back very briefly to the story of resurrection, because, you know, as you know, I mentioned earlier, I was brought up as a Catholic. I'm not Catholic anymore. You know, it's translated non metangere in Latin because the Bible, you know, was translated into Latin eventually, which means, you know, and this is how she's always portrayed with Jesus. He extends his his hand and he basically says do not touch me and very often it was translated you know interpreted as you know do not touch me you dirty woman right like you go away yeah, yeah. when you go when the bible was actually originally written in in greek and in greek it is memo up to which means do not hold on to me because i have not ascended yet mm -hmm. isn't it much more beautiful yeah i have to say that uh, i've talked with people about that and when i say yeah he said don't touch me uh basically what he was saying was don't touch me the paint's not dry yet that's you know, right that's you know? right <laughs> uh, that's right it's 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 very interesting how uh the different civilizations have treated women over the years and then there have been strictly matriarchal societies and civilizations have there not Yes, they have been, but they've been very early and we don't know that much about them. They're often uh, associated with, you know, uh, rituals of fertility and so on. So I focus on the goddesses that actually were like full, full blown goddesses, so to speak, that they had knowledge, that they taught people as skills, according to mythology, you know, that... Uh, uh, that uh, they were considered main deities, you know, they had their own temples like Inanna, for example, because we know very little about Nimna, Inanna, but you know, in these societies, and this is what I really like, they were not only goddesses, they were gods as well, and they were on equal terms. Right. So there were temples to Inanna and there were temples to other gods, you know, male gods. The same in Egypt, Isis was very popular, but there were so many gods, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there's a whole plethora of gods and I, in my opinion and you know we can go into it more you know they are probably like uh, expressions of the divine like different aspects of the divine mm -hmm. right so and and i believe that the divine also has feminine and masculine aspects and and so that's why you know these different goddesses and gods this is you know how i am uh this is how I am seeing it. However, you know, although, if you don't mind, although societies were worshipping goddesses, they were not always very supportive of women. That's quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Even nowadays in India, for example, there are many goddesses, Saraswati, Lakshmi, there are major goddesses, you know, goddess of wealth, goddess of wisdom. But in many, you know, cases, women are still mistreated, especially in rural areas. And the same happened in, you know, past in, in the West, in European and, you know, in the, what is called now Middle East. Mm -hmm. 
past. So I was looking to, because I was wondering, okay, all of these goddesses and Mary Magdalene, somehow, you know, there are similar stories. You know, it's almost like we want to know the story about this other consciousness. And, and, but what about women? And I actually discovered that there are many women who are called the bearers of secret knowledge, who are either philosophers or priestesses that were revered at that times. But as we come closer to our times, usually, you know, ancient Greece and so on, especially Roman Empire, they are being turned into turned, which means made to be prostitutes or, you know, somehow sexually inappropriate. So if I can give you one example, couple of examples. So lots of people uh, remember from school about famous mathematician who was also esoteric philosopher, Pythagoras, right? Pythagoras. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had a famous school of mathematics and I think also secret geometry comes from him and secret numerology. And I didn't know, but his teacher was a Delphi, a Delphic priestess, you know, from Delphi, Delphi, a Delphic oracle, whose name was Themistoclea. We actually know her name. And he said he has learned everything from her. And his wife, Tiano, was also a philosopher who ran the school with him. And when he died, she ran the school for, you know, by herself because he died earlier than she did. And, and there are, you know, numerous uh, examples of this when they were really respected and they were also teachers. But the closer we come to what we, not even modern times, but, you know, like uh, Roman Empire times, closer to our times 2000 years ago and so on, mm-hmm. suddenly they are being called uh, prostitutes. And, and I looked, why are they called prostitutes? And it is because it was proper for a woman in, in those societies just to be a wife and a mother and that you're not supposed to be educated you're supposed to be just in the kitchen you know taking care of the kids and so on and any woman who got education was called a prostitute because it was called inappropriate you know she did something out of line you know what i mean like mm. yeah so but that doesn't mean that they were prostitutes right right and again i i say wait a minute if she's a prostitute what about he you know, yeah. come on, that's, let's, let's be fair here. If mm. she's guilty, then so is he's just as guilty because it's yeah. still a violation in the context of, of uh, Christianity. It's still a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. We're talking with uh, Joanna uh, Kuyawa. We're talking about the other goddess here on Tell Me Your Story. And we are here talking about what I think is a fascinating subject. I want to talk now a little bit about, and we're going to kind of jump around too. I'd like to talk about this secret knowledge um, mm-hmm. that, that the, the goddess has. And I say has because I, I firmly believe that, that nobody really dies. The, the body might, but the soul, mm-hmm. the essence that which is immortal continues on. It's just uh, transformed, maybe takes on a, another body. First of all, um, we, we, you, you refer to it as secret knowledge. Is this mm-hmm. something, is this knowledge that has been attained through more, uh, shall we say, intuitive or, uh, uh, oh, how do I want to put this? Um, uh, more divine methods, uh, as they say, the Bible was written by God through these men. Well, this secret knowledge that uh, the goddess has, is she received this secret knowledge from God as well? 
Well, so this is what how, I, and again, I'm just expressing, you know, my opinion based on my research, mm -hmm. right? So yes. I'm open for discussion here. I'm just putting it out, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, so uh, like any proper research, I'm just putting out my research and people can respond to this. Right. So uh, I think that um, in, in my opinion, we, this feminine and masculine principle are connected to different forms of access to to higher knowledge. So neither is better or worse. So right. for example, and if I just can digress a little bit, I really like uh, when one Swiss psychologist, uh, Carl Jung, uh, said that both women and men have masculine and feminine aspects in them. So he called them animus masculine, anima feminine. And it is, you know, a woman has usually more of a feminine and man has more of masculine, right? But we, we both have this kind of uh, more macho qualities or more caring qualities depending on the personality, right? Mm -hmm. Although it, it is also gender related in many ways. So I believe that uh, with uh, patriarchy, you know, this more masculine form of intelligence was developed. And it is not a wrong intelligence, but I think it is now going in a very dangerous direction. So this, this kind of form of intelligence is very technologically oriented uh, intelligence. It's very rational and logical intelligence, which helped us to, you know, develop, well, we are talking on, you know, right now because of technology, we can fly airplanes, right, and so on. So, and it gave us medicine and so on. But it also, I believe nowadays, especially is taking us in a very dangerous direction. Now we talk about artificial intelligence, we are talking about neuraling, you know, and basically creating a mixed beings between human beings and machines and, you know, Sophia, the, the robot, Sophia and so on, but, you know, apparently are very intelligent. And I think that our civilization is going a little bit too far in this direction of kind of engineering logical technological intelligence, which is based on, you know, cause and effect, cause and effect, effect. And this other form of intelligence, which I call the feminine intelligence, is more intuitive. You know, it's exactly what you said. I absolutely agree with you. Mm. And lots of esoteric traditions and from all spiritual traditions around the world talk about it. So, for example, in Zen Buddhism, it's called Satori, which is kind of you suddenly get it right? Like little enlightenment, like Satori. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in, in Hinduism, it's called Buddhi, which is like, they call it like the higher mind, which is kind of intuitive perception. You know, like you, you don't go there because you think about it, think about it, you strategize. No, it just, you get it. Mm -hmm. Another one, including in Christian philosophy, which I studied as well, you know, it's called intellection. Intellection is just immediate grasping of God's knowledge. You know, like you suddenly have like access to, you know, to God's knowledge or you could call it grace, right? Grace is also this kind of way of knowing. You don't have a proof, but you know, right. or you experience it through grace, right? Like if there is no explanation for this, there's no explanation for a miracle yeah. or for an act of grace. So this is this kind of immediate knowledge, but it's more difficult to master because it is uh, less predictable. And also for now, millennia, we don't know how to get a regular access to it, yeah. right? We don't have methodology, really. We have fantastic methodology for the masculine form of intelligence that served us so well. Mm -hmm. But I think that now we're completely out of balance and we're in desperate need to develop this other form of intelligence that is more intuitive, 
which you know uh and and find the tools of getting you know this knowledge of having access to 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 this knowledge of grace you know or in, in eastern traditions they call it you know enlightenment when you have a grasp of uh, of the wholeness of all universe you know yeah. or uh, we are all one in it not even only just as human beings but everyone you know mm -hmm. every being is conscious you know esoteric traditions they say you right. know trees are conscious animals are conscious human unconscious we're all brothers and sisters and just and 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 i think it's a very beautiful form of intelligence then we have to recover and some and i think that jesus in in western tradition was one of the people who who did try to recover and he was teaching mary magdalene to you know to also to access this kind of intelligence but it was somehow suppressed and now it is slowly coming back to surface and we have to make an effort in a collective way to reclaim it because we need it as a civilization well, I know that uh, one of the methods by which we can do that uh, is through a process that uh, we have been promoting here on this program since September of 2020, 2019. September of 2019, I began a campaign uh, heading towards the year 2020 called the Year of Perfect Vision, 2020 Vision. And we, were in, we encouraged people during that year to go within and listen to that still small voice. Now, my firm belief is that the information, if you will, that we garner, that we gather, that we get from that still small voice is more individual. It's more personal and it is for us as the individual going within and listening. Uh, but at the same time, of course, and then we extend that on after 2020 to the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. And we're still asking people to do the same thing. And uh, we could even use the word epiphany, if you will. Um, mm. I know that there's even a, a, a holy day uh, referencing a, the day of epiphany or something like that. Uh, epiphany Sunday, I think. Mm. I think it's in, I don't know if it's in January, but anyway. Uh, and I was born and raised Catholic myself. Mm. Uh, and so I've had um, a, a lot of interest in these, these elements uh, within the philosophy of whether you want to call it Catholicism or Christianity. I've always been perplexed by the apocryphal scriptures that the Catholic Church has in their Bible, but the Protestants do not. And then, of course, all of the other, as you mentioned earlier in the program, all of the other what you refer to as Gnostic Gospels. I even have a, a book on the, I think it's called the... Um, the Lost Books of Eden, and then uh, mm -hmm. there's a second half of that that also refers to, the, I, I've even read the, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and Thomas, and I mm -hmm. think uh, there's one in there uh, by Enoch and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, and it's just, it's just fascinating how much is out there. And it always seems to me that if it's not um, uh, out of the, a need to um, control the population, it is the perspective that, well, as, as, was, <laughs> as was said by Jack Nicholson in that ever popular movie, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> it's like, who are you to make that determination for me? Let me read it and, and let me make my own decision. And that's really part of what we do with this program is we ask people to listen. We lay out this smorgasbord. You are now a part of that table.
<laughs> of food, if you will, for the soul and the mind. And we ask people to come and partake of those elements that resonate with them. And then come back again after they have eaten, metaphorically, uh, that. And it might open them up to say, you know what, it didn't resonate with me before, but that seems kind of interesting. I mean, isn't that what education is all about, is that process? And so we're, we're about the process of educating, inspiring, enlightening, and I want to talk a little bit about that. As we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with uh, Joanna Kuyawa, all the way from, uh, did you say Brisbane, uh, Australia? Brisbane. Yes, And um, we're so glad to have you on the program. You're already in the next day. So uh, I, I would ask a whole bunch of questions about what the next day looks like. But you know what? I, I don't need you to tell me. I know it's going to be good. It's going to be a wonderful day. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the, shall we say, the underlying message that you want to impart. You did explain, uh, certainly, uh, why, you, why you wrote the book and why you've been through this these studies, but mm -hmm. there uh, it seems to me a part of what you are bringing forth that wants to encourage, to inspire. Uh, I don't know that I want to necessarily use the word insight, but but uh, people to men and women uh, to investigate these kinds of things. And I would take it that you have sufficient um, references in the book that people can then go and they can research it themselves and say, well, I know Joanna said this, but I'm going to go read the primary source materials myself. And now I've checked it out. And yeah, I, I would say this, that, or the other thing. I did that with an author many years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, I like what he's saying, but I need to check this out. So I got my Bible. I got my Strong's Concordance. And I started doing the same research and accepting that the two sources are legitimate valid sources of information, I came to the same conclusion he did. So it's no longer his information. Mm. It's now mine. Mm. And uh, it seems to me like that's part of what you're uh, wanting to accomplish through uh, this book and the work that you're doing. Yes, absolutely. But before I go into this, I just want to congratulate you on your initiative, you know, because I do believe that going within is the way, you know, the, the only way perhaps that we know how to get in touch with this other form of secret knowledge. So I, you know, thank you for this initiative. And you're very right. You know, when somebody tells you something, do not believe because we had just don't take it on my word. And I just want to even apologize to anyone who in any way, you know, will feel offended by the book. I am just sharing my experiences, you know, mm -hmm. which were very deep spiritual experiences, you know, sometimes quite radical. And, and I remember, you know, my background also, which is a former Catholic, when I was told, you know, right from the beginning, you know, this is, you know, how it is. And I started to have doubts about the stories who, you know, which didn't make sense to me or the way, not even the stories, but how they were interpreted, you know, like yeah. I thought there must be a deeper meaning to all of this, you mm -hmm. know? So, so I started to search. So it's part, you know, big part of this is my own spiritual experience, but definitely, you know, I, I am a scholar. So especially from 
part one is very personal, but from parts two, three, and four, you know, it's pure research. And I have a big reference list so people can go, you know, and check this for themselves. And I absolutely believe in a spiritual autonomy in any form of autonomy, but as spiritual autonomy, that we that we have no bigger duty than actually search for this connection with the divine in whatever form it comes to each individual, whether masculine or feminine, you know, that we we need to, this is what our lives are about. And, 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 and I think we have to realize, and bigger people than myself said, you know, you're a spiritual being in the body. This is what sages of all spiritual traditions, East and West, are telling us. And somehow, and I think through this other form of intelligence, this rational intelligence, we forgot. We forgot it. We started to believe that we are these meat bags, you know, that we are just yeah. biological beings. We are biological beings, but we are just, you know, souls on a journey. You need a vehicle, right? You need a, this is, this is how we transport ourselves through this life, how we can mm -hmm. experience the beauty of life also. Yeah. And it, the pain of life, you know, it's part of a deal, you know. So, so this is what I wanted people to remember. And at the end of my book, I share one personal experience again when I felt like it, like the coming out of a matrix moment, you know, when yeah. I was on a tram in Melbourne, tram uh, in Melbourne. And, you know, I was going to work and everybody's rushing and looking at their mobiles and, you know, and so do I. And suddenly I was by an act of grace, right? Because how would I otherwise do it? I was pulled away from this and I was on the outside of this. It's, it's like I suddenly started to watch this movie that was unfolding in front of me and how we all act as machines you know we just go through our habitual way of doing you know and going and we forgot our own divinity and now when i think about it it reminds me of this film by oliver stone you know midnight express very mm -hmm. old film when the main protagonist is in a jail and then he gets this moment, you know, he's walking in circle with one, all the prisoners. And I think we're prisoners of our own thinking, you know, and at certain point he gets this act of grace and he starts to walk in a different direction than all other prisoners. And this is the moment of freedom and he manage, manages eventually to get out. So by that, I mean, we have to wake up, yeah. you know, we have to wake up that we are so much more than we are told that we are and as you so astutely also said you know who is who are you whoever that these people are that consider themselves in authority spiritual authorities including you know to tell you oh but we know the truth but you know mm -hmm. it just would be too much for you right? my answer to this is how do you dare it's yeah. so disrespectful right yeah, I, I mean right? it's so disrespectful we are all divine beings mm -hmm. Well, and, and I have to tell you that uh, I worked from uh, 1980 to 95, I worked for a Christian radio station. Mm -hmm. uh, when I left, I was told by my uh, future ex-boss or former boss, I was a casualty of Christian broadcasting because I didn't put toe the party line. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I, um, I basically uh, would say throughout that time, I would gladly have a, a, a large capital H uh, tattooed or, or branded on my forehead and wear it proudly as a heretic because mm -hmm. the answers I was getting from these folks was 
it just didn't make any sense to me. One in particular I found so fascinating uh, was, first of all, the story of Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. I mean, the people he'd been dead for a number of days, if I'm not mistaken, according to the story. Uh, I, I mean, he was dead, dead, dead. Uh, they didn't have the technology we have today to make that determination. He wasn't breathing. You know, mm. he wasn't moving. He was dead. Then Paul comes along in his epistle and gives this edict. It mm. is appointed every man once to die, then the judgment. So which is it? Once mm. to die? Was Lazarus really dead? Or is Paul wrong? Because mm. mm. from my perspective, you can't have it both ways because now you have exceptions to the rule. If you've mm. got exceptions to the rule, well, then maybe I can die more than once. And we have scientific evidence to prove that there have been people, especially in, and it sounds weird to say this this way, the mm -hmm. last century, but am I that old? Oh, my goodness. Who mm. have had, who have been declared dead and mm. then were brought back to life. Mm. And so Not you sit here and you question and it's like, it doesn't make any sense. And that's just one example. That's just one example uh, mm. of all of that. Uh, in addition to the story of the, the attempted, I say the attempted stoning of Mary Magdalene. Uh, and of course, the guys dropped their rocks and split because mm. they were not without sin. At least you got to give them credit for this much. <laughs> yeah, that's right. At least they were honest. OK, yeah. at least they were honest and realized, oh, I'm not without sin. I better I better move along. Uh, so it's really it's 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 a fascinating uh, direction to travel that I've been on. And obviously that you've been on as well. Uh, how much. Uh, how much pushback have you gotten? I know you you made the uh, the wonderful disclaimer there, and of course we do the same thing on this program. Our intention is not to offend anybody or disrespect anybody. It's to ask the questions and talk about the conversations that a lot of people they're afraid to have. They probably are thinking the very thing you're talking about, but they're just afraid to have that conversation. How what kind of pushback have you gotten? Well, you know the book was just published. <laughs> So I'm bracing myself. So at the moment, you know, everything seems good, you know, going good. But I'm pretty sure that, you know, something, you know, there will be some pushback because especially part one may throw some people off. So I already apologize. It's just my experience. You mm -hmm. know, we didn't discuss this part. So uh, but I think that more and people, more and more people are waking up and especially some people that I would least expect, you know, to enjoy the book or being open to this alternative interpretations, which I say, what if this is what I'm saying, right? What if uh, that they said, you know, I have been always thinking about the same thing, you know, so yeah. people are having it on their minds, but they either, you know, don't have time or you know, they don't, or inclination to do research or, you know, not everybody wants to write a book and I don't blame them, you know, it's lots of work. Yeah. But I was surprised that some people that I think, oh my goodness, now, you know, <laughs> she's reading this book, I wonder, right? And, you yeah. know, they say, no, no, you know, you, you know what? I had similar experiences. I had the si similar thoughts, you know, but people just 
you know, out of habit, go through the motions, you know, their lives, including their spiritual lives. But I think people are more and more open to investigating, you know, other opportunities. And I always say, you know, this is my book is not a holy writ. You don't like it, just don't read it, you know. But you know, you can you can read it and say, okay, think about it and agree or disagree, because I'm just starting a discussion about something. And at least parts of this, you know, the other goddess, I hope would appeal to some people about bringing you know, the feminine back for the sake of everyone. This is yeah. not to elevate women. This is like, we need both men and women. We always knew it, right? Yeah. So now uh, l- let's do that also on a spiritual level. Joanna Kuyawa. The book is entitled The Other Goddess, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a pleasure to have all the way from Australia, um, a woman who has written an extraordinary work that I think that you'll find fascinating. It is called The Other Goddess. Her name is Joanna Kuyawa, and um, uh, I'm always intrigued by the definition of terms i always uh, like to 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 uh, to look at that and i'm wondering does the same definition for goddess mm-hmm. uh apply uh, do i i should rephrase it is the same definition for a god the same as for a goddess it's just that one's male one's female or is there some other additional or different attribute to a goddess than a god i would say that god and goddess are just uh, you know human distinctions that's why uh, perhaps you notice throughout the interview i try to refer to the divine i call i or even better, I would call divine consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Christ consciousness, depending on, you know, which tradition you are from. Mm-hmm. And this consciousness, I believe, has no gender, just has, as you mentioned, different attribute, attributes or energies. One is more masculine, one is more feminine. Uh, but for me, there's actually no distinction between God or goddess. It, it is just different aspect of divine consciousness that created everything and of which we are part. And I think that this consciousness is longing for us to recognize, you know, that we are all one and that we are part of it consciousness on a wonderful adventure, which can be very often challenging like our own lives. Absolutely. I know in the Hindu tradition, you have, I mean, there are maybe hundreds of different names, uh, but the two that come to my mind, of course, are Shakti and Shiva. Correct. Uh, You know, and that opens the door to another conversation I want to touch on here in just a couple of moments as we Mm -hmm. continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, on Tell Me Your Story, we uh, deal with all kinds of subjects. Uh, We try to stay away from current events as much as possible, but they do have an influence on uh, the conversation that we have. And uh, I have to say that that um, the the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, there were many I didn't know. uh, I knew I knew who she was, but I had no clue that there were so many people, men and women who had uh who i guess put it this way they revered her i mean she was like a superhero in their minds you know mm-hmm. and now we have uh, the first black female supreme court justice 
which is pretty spectacular. Although I don't know if you'd agree with this or not. I heard someone say this following the election, the first election of Barack Obama, uh, that it shows that we haven't come very far when we keep referring to him as the first black president. He's just a guy who was elected, you know, mm, and I know mm. that it will be stated when we have the first female president and the first female black president and Asian and this and that and the other. They, they seem to want to make these distinctions uh, instead of just recognizing, oh, here's someone who has been elected to represent us and to to uh, sit in that seat in there in the Oval Office. Uh, it's very, very interesting. I want to ask you about the aspect. We talked about the secret knowledge a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the other aspect of the book, the goddess Mary Magdalene and the Eros. Mm. Give us first a description of your definition of eros okay so this is what when you're asking me about you know is going to be the pushback so when i think this is the first part of a book which is very personal and where i share you know the experiences of other people including one of my experiences when people claim to experience sexuality in a very spiritual way and i thought it is very important you know and this is what i call the eros as different from sexuality simply not because there's something wrong with sexuality but because how sexuality is being portrayed by mainstream media you know and how it is defiled i think you know and mm-hmm. so so i think uh, i wanted to share and also you know there's so much in in other form of media you know ugly things about sexuality about different cults and so on and i'm sure that some of this is true i'm not here to negate it but i thought again what if you know, when I looked into different traditions, sexuality or eros, as I call it in the book, you know, can be a sacred experience, right? Mm-hmm. Why uh, two people who, you know, cannot have a sacred experience through the most intimate of all unions, right? So I, I, I collected, I had some experience and I collected experiences of other people who talk about uh, eros as well. And one of the, for example, things that I really liked, it was, uh, you know, erotic connection when people are talking about erotic connection which means that people actually and how is it different from a regular romance you know mm-hmm. which on soap operas and you know romantic comedies and so on portrayed so for example i would say that in in a what i call in the book romantic trap it is that we really do not show our true selves to the other person we want to always show you know our best part you know the the beautiful part the lovely part and sometimes an artificial part so i say you know i said in one other interview you cannot wear the same red dress to the same effect for the same man every time mm-hmm. right it will wear it off Right, right? right, and it is it is beautiful, but it's kind of artificial. So this is a romantic trap, which also believes that this has only one end. Like now we have to get married, and you know, and so on. When erotic uh, connection, it is something that people say that they felt without any reason. They met someone, and they felt, "I know this person. I know the, them to the core." I know their soul. And they also had this sense that they have also been recognized, you know, to the core of their being, not only, you know, whatever they are wearing or whether they are looking pretty or not. And this is the erotic connection which allowed some people to explore their union, their relationship, and also themselves on a very spiritual level, right? Through 
an erotic connection because my union was also sexual. But the reason why I try to avoid the word sexual, it is because it is so demean, right, right nowadays right. by how, how it is portrayed. So I wanted to say, okay, so there is so many, so much darkness around our sexuality. I want to bring some light to this. And I looked into esoteric traditions such as Asian Tantra, not what is you know being practiced now in the West, mm-hmm. when, when actually this tradition came from a women sage, Arda Triambaka, very Asian sage. We hardly know anything about her, which taught people, you know, how to. Uh, you know, what's now called in New Age parlance, uh, sexual alchemy or, you know, sexual, spiritual, spiritual sexuality, right? How we can connect with another human being through such intimate act. So I thought like, if we are going to join feminine and masculine now, so when somebody is elected president, we just say the best person was chosen, not Mm -hmm. women, men or race, right? Mm -hmm. The same way, how can we evolve uh, spiritually if we leave our sexuality in the darkness if we leave it to the cults if we leave it to this horrible portrayals like i'm always embarrassed when i see you know hollywood movies you know they have this great but very animalistic sex you know they just just yeah and what what if you know it could have been different you know what I mean? What if the art tradition, which the word tradition, that we're teaching us differently? Because how can we, spirituality is about self-acceptance also and about wholeness. Mm-hmm. Right? So how can we be whole if we are constantly rejecting or demeaning a very vital part of our being, you know, whether we like it or not, you know? So this is a, a vital part of our being. In fact, I studied, you know, uh, saints and hermits early Christian saints, the, the desert fathers in Egypt who tried to stay away from, you know, who, tr- who tried to be ascetic and stay away from sexuality. And, 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 and they bitterly complained, you know, that they couldn't do this, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that it was, they were tormented by this because they thought they should have, right? Yeah. And I said, maybe we never were meant to reject it. Maybe we just are meant to uplift it yeah. to a yeah. different level. It seems the the difference is, uh, and uh, uh, I'm gonna be appropriate, but maybe it'll sound a little crude or blunt. It's the difference between uh, a an energetic exchange, an exchange and a combining of energies versus friction sex That's intercourse. Right. Okay, right. yeah. and um, and I've 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 been associated with some very interesting over the years, interesting practices that have really worked to elevate uh, our sexuality uh, from that lower base friction aspect uh, Hmm. to the energetic aspect. Um, I think about it from the context of um, sort of like completing the circuit or closing the Hmm. circuit. And now you have sort of a loop, you know, that kind Hmm. of thing. Very, very mm-hmm. interesting um, w- way of looking at it. I mean, I, I know that, that, that we've all had our, our um, uh, period of time of, as they say, sowing our wild oats, as it were, you mm-hmm. know, in our teens and early 20s, especially for guys. That's mm. another one of those paradoxes I found so distasteful uh, that, uh, you know, the guys were uh, the, in high school, you know, got to go out there and you got to get laid, you know, and blah, da, 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 da. But if a girl does that, she's a slut. That's like, right. Wait a minute. Hold it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> You're yeah. as much of a slut as she is. If you want to go down that road, That's um, right. you know, you can't, you can't uh, uh, paint one with one brush and another with another. It just doesn't work. Fascinating. And I know that there's a whole lot more that we could talk about uh, here on this, uh, this particular program. Love to have you back again to, to dialogue more about this subject, because there's so much more uh, mm. that we can talk about. I know that many people uh, find it difficult to talk about this subject, uh, mm -hmm. uh, specifically of uh, sexual, a uh, spiritual sexuality, uh, and and that energetic transference or combining and and so forth and moving the energy and and of course there's also that aspect i'm sure you're familiar with uh for example the the kundalini energy moving it up Absolutely. the spine but it all has to do with elevating elevating mm. it to a higher level uh mm. you know we have in my i don't know maybe i'm wrong but in my opinion i think we have enough human beings we don't need to be creating anymore mm. uh, but what we do need to do is we need to raise the, raise the consciousness <laughs> of of the human beings on the planet uh so that we can uh, to be honest with you it's great that we have this technology that you and i are experiencing it has been said by uh uh, one gentleman who I, I uh, sort of studied under who said that everything that you see, everything that has ever been built has been built with sexual energy. That's where that comes from. And I can certainly understand that. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all of this stuff has been for our, our betterment, that it's that inner life that's really going to make mm. the difference, isn't it? That's right. So I just want to say that in my first part of my book, I actually talk about the experience of Kundalini and how it is a conscious energy because I experience it, you know, conscious energy. And it, it turned out to be a very spiritual experience that gave me a vision of divine consciousness. So uh, and so Kundalini energy that many esoteric traditions, including early Christian traditions, actually Gnostic tradition, talk about it as well, is a but again, it is this form of grace, meaning like we don't know how to necessarily access it. It just happens spontaneously. And some people do have methods. You know, I don't claim to know any methods here. So so I just want to make another disclaimer that, you know, if this is a very part one of my book is very personal. If you're interested in learning more about sexuality in a spiritual sense, including personal experiences, this part is for you. If you're not interested, you're just interested in an early conversation, just go to part two, right? So, mm -hmm. because this is more of a pure research. And just to comment on what you said a moment ago, it's true, it was not fair how women and men were seen, you know, as sexual beings, you know, it was not okay for a woman to be sexual, but it was okay for a guy, right, to be sexual. At the same time, neither women nor men were taught how to elevate sexuality, how to honor their sexuality, how to spiritualize sexuality yeah. or see it as a spiritual potential. So we all have to learn this. So it's not only about judgment, women and men, but we all have to step in onto this higher path. And, you know, and, and in some tantric traditions, they say, you know, what is the lowest is actually the highest. It is just your perception. And Jesus, you know, in the Gospel of Thomas says, you know, cleanse the door of perception, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it is all about, you know, how you see it and, and how you use it. And there are endless esoteric traditions throughout, um, you know, different religions and so on that use secretly sexuality 
for uh, the experience of grace, you know, through the movement of Kundalini energy or, you know, uh, similar ter terminology. But they were, I think they were always on the edges of uh, religious movements because most of the society at that time wouldn't be able to relate to this. Mm -hmm. You know, they were afraid probably to be punished. But I hope that we reach this age of wisdom and spiritual evolution uh, that we can talk about it, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. that we can, can. We can at least consider this possibility. Could, could I make the leap and again, using the, the words that we have available to us, because it's all we've got, mm. uh, make the leap and say that, th that the creation of the universe was created through divine sexual energy. Again, it's because it's the only words, it's the only word I've got. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. I think oh, that's why I call it eros, but it's sexual energy. Eros, what is eros? It's an outpour of love and creation, mm -hmm. right? And I think sexuality at its best is actually that, you know, when you go completely vulnerable and open to another human being, right? In a mm -hmm. proper, you know, in, when it's, it's a true true erotic experience right mm -hmm. so uh the reason part of the reason why i studied the uh, tantra in the first part of the book it is because they talk about it openly openly meaning you know it mm -hmm. was also esoteric and hidden but you know they at least discussed it and there are sources that are asian sources that they talk about it mm -hmm. so they symbolize it or it's a metaphor of shiva and shakti that you mentioned before you know falling in love and through this act of this uh, you know erotic connection they create everything around them you know flowers start to blossom butterflies are starting to fly trees are starting you know uh, mango trees start to grow and blossom spontaneously <laughs> you know so it, it's a metaphor but for, for exactly what you said it can be that beautiful yeah and what we especially in the modern world in america in particular and other developed countries um seem to think is the thing that we're supposed to achieve um actually can be be achieved we can achieve it ourselves through moving the energy without any physical movement at all and that is the orgasm that they, they mm. refer to it it's like oh that's what we have to achieve we've got to get there you know and it's like and that's one of the things that's bothered me more than anything else about the 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 conversation about sexuality in 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 this country in particular in the west if you will is that there is this performance that men have to put on as well as women and yeah. it's like i don't i don't want to perform i'm not an actor okay um you know i might be able to play act in different things but that isn't one of them that i want to play act in uh, it, it's, you know, so that seems to me to be one of the biggest problems that we have is that there's this, there's this goal line we've got to cross. There's something we have to achieve rather than just being in the moment. That's right. And also that it has to be something physical necessarily, but and it has to be yeah. physical and that there is a goal to achieve. And in all spiritual traditions, we know that there's no goal to achieve. The journey is the goal, how you journey this. And the same applies to a, a sexual experience as well, right? In a, yeah. And so I, I completely understand what you say about performance. And it goes for both women and men because men have to perform and women have to fake because it is the romantic, uh, romantic trap that I say. It's completely yeah. artificial. Yeah, you know? I've, heard it, I've also heard it said that women can fake it. Men cannot. 
Men mm. can't mm. fake it. That's right. You know. So 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 also this is the the whole paradox of the situation. So I am saying we completely have to change our thinking about it and all of the experiences that we have, and not to judge them by some external measurements you know this is about your inner life this is about connection your connection mm-hmm. with your partner with your body you know with your soul you know why do you have to apply some external uh some external measurements to this it is yeah. a little bit like other experience uh, um, spiritual experience you know who is deciding that it's a true spiritual experience it mm-hmm. is your experience no one else can say and the same goes for our erotic experiences you know it, it is about the connection to, yeah. to to your partner to, to your to your own higher self you know to the mm-hmm. divine consciousness it is not about performing yeah that, that's another really weird and it, it is very western i think i agree it is a very western concept and i'm not even sure where we got it from i'm I don't know, but we got it. <laughs> but it's here. And, we, and we've got it bad, I'll tell you. Yeah, and I'm not necessarily saying there's anything wrong with, with mm. the, the, the physical aspects. It's just that we, mm. we tend to have taken it uh, considerably far. Joanna Kuyawa is my guest. The book is called The Other Goddess. And you, Goddess, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. Not only are you listening to Tell Me Your Story, you're also watching it. I'm your host, Richard Dugan. We are here with Joanna uh, uh, Kuwa, uh, Kuyawa. I, I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm, I will tell you that the height, I, and I've heard some interviews that go this way, the height of disrespect, and I'm, I'm guilty of it from time to time, but I really try not to, the height of disrespect is mispronouncing someone's name. And I want to oh, make I sure think- that. I want to make sure that I get it right. And I think I have throughout the program uh, and uh, no matter how difficult it is. And I, I understand the reason why the men and women or probably mostly men at Ellis Island at the turn of the uh, 19th to the 20th century changed people name, changed people's names because they couldn't pronounce them. Mm. So they changed them. And it's like, okay. And then of course, now we have in the, in the late 20th century into the 21st, people are starting to learn what their real name from their family was. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them uh, maybe are changing back. So it's really interesting. Uh, and I'm curious if I may ask uh, on that note uh, about your last name, mm-hmm. can, you, can you tell me what you know about it, meaning mm-hmm. and so forth? I don't know that much about it. I just know that, you know, it comes from my father, right? Mm-hmm. So it's Kuyava. And he comes from a region which is called Kuyave. So it basically, I would say that it means someone who comes of this region. So it would be like, you know, uh, John of Texas or something. So I it is see. just, so I am, so because there's actually a, a region of Poland from which he came, which is, has the same name. It's called Kuyave which is the region, and the last name is Kuyava. So mm. this is what it means. And I think uh, in ancient, ancient Slavic language, I just Googled it once, I think it means something like clearing in the forest. Mm. So I think that probably it was a very, you know, kind of uh, foresty area, you know, region or something, I'm not sure. But it's basically someone from that region. Mm. Yeah. I always find it interesting. I actually have not researched uh, my last name. I guess I should. Uh, some say that uh, there was an O in the front because it's Irish. 
Uh, but mm. uh, I don't know. And they jokingly say, yeah, well, when they came over uh, from Ireland to America to Ellis Island, they dropped the O overboard. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to thank you so much for giving us time here. So much time here on the program. This has been a fascinating conversation that I hope a lot of folks will begin to have. Thank you so much. I love being here. Thank you, Richard, for giving me this opportunity. It was a pleasure. I do have three final questions for you that I like to ask all of my guests. However, before I do that, I need to address you, the listener and the viewer, and thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and quite a few many more uh, locations on the internet that you can uh, listen to, as well as watching these interviews on YouTube, the channel Richard Dugan, and Tell Me Your Story. So I hope that you will uh, go there. And by the way, Uh, When I ask you to subscribe, it has nothing to do with my interest in raising the number of subscribers to my podcasts or videocasts. I wish there was a way for you to be notified of a new interview without having to subscribe. But if you do subscribe, you're going to be notified every time a new interview is posted. So I hope you will subscribe. And as of this broadcast, we are in the neighborhood of uh, podcast listens. Over the last four, almost four and a half years of podcasting, 83,400, ladies and gentlemen, 83,400 listens. And uh, we have probably close to 700 podcasts, 265 interviews on YouTube, and the number just keeps growing. So uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that we keep getting incredible guests on this program. I know you said you were going after your PhD. I feel like I have mine in eclectic studies. that's the best phd i feel my phd is in eclectic studies so and it's wonderful it really is uh one other thing i want to let you folks know of and that is that if you'd like to support the work we're doing uh we would greatly appreciate that we have a paypal account it's for your security as well as ours and uh, when you go there you contribute whatever you'd like and uh all you have to do is go to the homepage of richarddugan.com there is a link scroll down a little bit and there's a link to paypal where it'll take you there you put the amount in and uh, boom it's done otherwise if you go to your paypal account and want to send my email address is what you want to send it to, richard at richarddugan.com. That's richard at richarddugan.com. Oh, I do have one other thing. Please spend time during the decade of perfect vision going within and listening to that still small voice. To the three questions that I like to ask all of my guests, the first is, who is Joanna Kuyava? Who is? In one word? No, you can use as many words as you like. Okay. So uh, I wrote the book, The Other Goddess. I, li- I am a scholar. I have a PhD from Monash University in Australia. I, am, I like to call myself spiritual detective. I am a little bit of an adventurer and spiritual seeker, definitely. I committed my life to this. And um, I think I'm a very committed person. 
because I always wanted to write a book in English. And when I was a younger, I went from Poland to Paris when I, where I work as a babysitter. And every day I learn 100 English words from a dictionary. And sometimes I didn't know how to pronounce them. That's why sometimes, you know, you, you can hear this probably. But uh, I persisted. So, uh, and, and then I, you know, studied in, in Canada in uni at the University of Toronto. Then I was headhunted by an Australian university in Asia, where I studied with Hindu uh, scholars. And now I'm in Brisbane, Australia. And I feel very, I feel very fulfilled at this moment in my life. And I wish it to everyone else. Well, your persistence has paid off. Thank Second you. question is, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Mm. I think I want to, I don't want to sound, you know, that I'm full of myself, but I think I want to bring these questions that we discuss. What if, you know, I want us to collectively and individually uh, wake up spiritually, you know, to feel connection to each other and to divine consciousness. And also, for some reason, I've been called to bring sexuality into this, to Eros, you know, because I felt that especially as a woman, but for everyone, really, as we discuss, we have to really heal this, this wound, which I think is an ancient wound. And it's actually on our way uh, before we can evolve spiritually. We have to integrate it. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Hmm. What is my life purpose? I think I think to feel grace at all moments of my life, you know, to feel feel one with the divine. And sometimes it takes really little things. The older I get, the easier it gets, you know. I wake up and birds are singing, right? And and I have a hibiscus in, in our garden. And I, I, I try to stay as much as possible, not always easy, you know, life has many challenges, to stay in the state of grace as much as possible, to, to feel one with the, with the divine consciousness that created everything. Well, Joanna, once again, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. It's been a real pleasure. And I would love to have you back again to continue the conversation, uh, especially in light of uh, the, the study that you did uh, uh, in uh, uh, the, with the Hindus uh, and so forth, uh, because obviously that expands one's understanding, uh, mm. at least from the human standpoint of of the universe and and how it works and so forth. Uh, I have a distinct pleasure of talking with a, a gentleman who uh, delves into the realms of astronomy, space, aviation, and weather reg regularly every week, and we have some unbelievable conversations uh, about. Uh, what makes the world go round? So uh, I would love to have you back to talk about that. I would love to come back. Thank you, Richard. And I thank you for listening to and watching. Tell me your story, new paradigms for a new world as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I'm listening. <laughs>